my name is Katja Köhler-Cole. I'm a research assistant professor in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture on East Campus. Um, I will be talking today about a project um, that we had over four years. Um, it was a project co-sponsored by the Nebraska Corn Board and the Nebraska Soybean Boards. Um, and we basically looked at cover crop productivity, soil health parameters, and crop yields. Um, at three different sites in Nebraska over four years. So what I'm gonna talk about today mostly is the cover crop nitrogen uptake and uh, cover, crop cover crop carbon to nitrogen ratio because that affects um, when we can uh, expect to see the nitrogen that a cover crop takes up to become available. So first of all, um, in our standard corn soybean rotations uh, here in the Midwest, we have a very limited window of opportunity for planting cover crops. We have corn and then we plant soybean and there's very little time in between for a cover crop. So there are very, very limited growing to degree days. So we really have just a, a, a few a handful of species really that we can plant during that time and that actually are going to produce significant amount of biomass. And what we did in, in this uh, project was basically uh, we, we grew corn and soybean in rotation. We also grew continuous corn. And then during each fallow period, we grew a cover crop. Um, we had three locations. Two were um, on the east and the eastern part of Nebraska. Both of those were rain-fed locations. Um, one on our research station near Concord, one at uh, ARDC. Now it's called NREC Research Station near Mead, and one in south central Nebraska at the at the uh, South Central Ag Lab, and that was an irrigated site. So two rain-fed, one irrigated sites. At each site, we had the same experimental design. Uh, we planted uh, we planted cover crops in corn following corn. We planted cover crops in soybean following corn or corn following soybeans. We kept the cover crops growing in the same plot or the same cover crops in the same plot for the four years. Um, if you can see this here, um, so these would be, this was a picture taken in early spring, so the green ones obviously are a cover crop. Once we terminate the cover crops, plant the corn or soybeans into it, um, after or right before harvest, we plant the next cover crop. So the cover crop always stays the same. The main crop, the soybean or the corn rotate from year to year, except in the continuous corn plots. All our, um, all our plots were no-till, and other than that, we used um, conventional seeds and herbicides um, kind of standard. So we have, uh, we picked our cover crops for specific goals. Uh, we planted cereal rye because that is a very, uh, can be a productive cover crop. Uh, good nitrogen scavenger uh, is good for erosion control and can all, even suppress weeds. Um, for nitrogen fixation, we picked two legumes we had a mix of hairy veg and winter pea. Um, and then we also picked two mixes with the idea of uh, combining some of these functions in a mix. We had a mix with four species where we planted rye at 30 pounds per acre, pea at 10 pounds, veg, radish, and so on. Then we had a um, seven species mix and that was rye at 20 pounds per acre. And then uh, six other species as, at lower seeding rates. And we compared everything to a control, so some of our plots did not get a cover crop. We planted cover crops at two different times. 
the early planting we broadcast into corn and soybean in mid-September. So that would be similar to an aerial planting or uh, planting with a high boy. Um, our plots were relatively small, just about 20 to 40 feet. So we just walked through the plots and spread the seeds by hand. There was no incorporation of the seed. Um, and then the other planting time was after harvest and that was done by drill. We drilled on seven inch rows, rows. All right, so a couple of pictures here or two pictures for each cover crop, what they looked like in the fall, not a lot of biomass production because we planted the, the early ones obviously had five to six more weeks of planting time. So they looked a little bit better in the fall. Okay, moving on. So we know um, that biomass production is really what, uh, what influences all these functions that a cover crop have, has. So we want to have at least a thousand pounds of biomass. For rye, this is what that picture would look like. So six to eight inches tall, um, that's about a thousand pounds of rye biomass. And a thousand pounds of biomass, I mean dry matter. Okay, I'm not going, going to go too much into the cover crop uh, biomass data, but um, it's just generally we had, in most situations, we had less than a thousand pounds. So we were under our, uh, our threshold, under our goal. Um, less than a thousand pounds in um, less than a thousand pounds, usually in continuous corn. Our legume cover crops never produced. I I, I would say they were even below a hundred pounds per acre on average, average ac across all years. Um, and also the cover crops planted after harvest were not very productive. Where did we get the 1,000 to 2,000 pounds that we need for erosion control and reducing nitrogen loss? Usually where we planted before soybean. And that was because um, soybean, we typically plant about two weeks later than the corn. So the cover crops have an extra two weeks to grow. So these usually produce, on average, they produce between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds per acre. And um, of the cover crops that we grew before corn, um, rye was the only one who would also get to that threshold. Um, the more cover crop biomass you have, the better for certain functions such as weed control. Um, if you want to suppress about 100% of your weeds, all of your weeds, you need at least 4,000 pounds. That was um, something that we only achieved in one year. Really, it was only in 2016, which was a very warm and wet year. Um, so our average biomass was just around a thousand or less than a thousand pounds per acre. How much cover crop, uh, how much nitrogen did the cover crops take up? And when I, when I talk about nitrogen uptake, um, I'm considering the nitrogen that's in the above ground biomass. So we, we sent biomass samples to Ward Labs and Carney and had, it, um, had them tell us, um, had it analyzed for the percentage of carbon and nitrogen and then adjusted that. So this is above ground, it does not include the roots. Um, but what we see here is, and I have it split up again by the three uh, cropping sequences. Continuous corn, we had the lowest cover crop nitrogen uptake, um, probably because we had the lowest amount of uh, cover crop biomass. Um, and soybean, uh, in the soybean corn rotation and in the corn soybean, um, 
rotation, we had higher uh, nitrogen uptake. Um, and typically we saw the greatest uptake in rye. Um, again, the legumes had very little um, nitrogen uptake and that was because they produce so little biomass, so they're not really useful as um, a nitrogen source. Um, as, we, as we've seen with those, with those graphs, rye is a good nitrogen scavenger. Um, and especially in the period before soybean, it takes up a lot of nitrogen. And that is a good thing because that is the period that has the greatest nitrogen loss. So if you want to reduce some nitrate leaching, um, you know, to, to prevent some groundwater contamination or things like that, um, plant rye before soybean. Um, what the big question of course now is when, when does this nitrogen become available? Um, we're going to look at the carbon to nitrogen ratio, which is, uh, again, we just determined that by looking at the above ground biomass, um, the greater the carbon to nitrogen ratio, typically the, um, the slower the nitrogen release, the slower decomposition. And carbon to nitrogen ratio is determined by several things. Um, younger crops will have a higher carbon to nitrogen ratio than older crops. Um, and legumes usually have a, a, great, a lower carbon to nitrogen ratio than grasses, such as the cereal rye. Okay, here's the data from those uh, four years. Um, what we see is it, there was relatively little variability in, in the carbon to nitrogen ratios. They are significantly different, um, but they're all relatively low. Even here in this rotation where we had the most biomass, um, rye has the greatest carbon to nitrogen ratio, legumes have the lowest, that's kind of expected, the two mixes are in between. Um, overall pretty low values here. Uh, I wanted to share, just to explain the cover crop decomposition and what we, when we can expect that nitrogen to become available. So we want to look at this one number, 25 to one. That is kind of uh, the, not anything below 25 to one typically results in fast decomposition and nitrogen mineralization. So nitrogen will become available here relatively quickly from decomposing cover crops. Anything above that 20, 25 to one ratio, we expect slow decomposition and possibly even some nitrogen immobilization. So um, our cover crops were pretty low. Their carbon to nitrogen ratio was pretty low. Um, so just about where we typically would expect a mature legume cover crop to be. So we, overall, we don't expect to see any uh, sort of nitrogen immobilization or tie up um, from these cover crops. Uh, the timing when that becomes available, obviously we're hoping that it becomes available at a time um, when, when corn nitrogen demand is greatest. Um, some studies have shown uh, that rye released about 33% of its nitrogen by V6 versus legumes released about three fourths of their nitrogen by V6. So again, legumes typically have a greater or a lower carbon to nitrogen ratio, great or faster release. But for our cover crops, because they had such a low carbon to nitrogen ratio, I, I, I think they're decomposing quickly that nitrogen is, should be uh, becoming available pretty soon.
um, looking at the yields, so overall, um, we saw very little effects on yields. Um, and we're looking at the continuous yields. Interestingly, the early planting, they, the cover crops that were planted early had a little bit lower yields than those that were planted late. But when we're only looking at the, uh, the different cover crops, again, our legumes, our two mixes here and our rye, um, there weren't any significant differences. Although I should mention that those two here, um, that those are significantly different from each other. <clears throat> And the rye is a little bit lower, and I think it, that was a difference of about six to seven bushels per acre. Um, similar things um, in, in, in the corn that was rotated. Um, again, overall, there, it, there, there do, we, we see some differences in the corn yields, um, but again, really the big difference is between rye and the control, and it's not a very large difference. Um, so both the continuous corn and the corn grown after soybean, when, when it followed a cover crop, it had about 4% lower yields than when it, where it did not follow a rye cover crop. But the other cover crops did not influence it. For soybean, there weren't any, uh, any differences in the yield. Those, those values are all statistically the same. Um, I do have a little note here by my legume because we, what we did see in some years, and I'm going to show some more pictures of that, is uh, we were not able to always kill the hairy vetch. Um, and so that sometimes survived and became a weed in our plots. And so that was not good for the soybean. And here are some of those pictures. Uh, so normally, again, cover crops uh, the soybean were doing really well and the cover crop residue. This was the one year I talked about where we had the, the hairy wedge kind of escaped and became a big old weed. Um, as I said earlier, you know, most of the time we have relatively low biomass, um, low carbon to nitrogen ratio, so they decompose quickly. And that's what we can see here. Soybean about mid-season, you still see some stems, but it's mostly gone. Um, this is a picture from continuous corn in the mid-season. You still see some, but um, there's not a lot left, actually. Um, this is a picture from our rotated corn. This was actually just taken last year, so that data was not included in the graphs that I showed you. But this is probably not a situation that you want to have here. We terminated the right too late, and it actually started heading out. So that's, that's not a good situation. Okay, I'm almost to the end of my presentation. Uh, just a few take home points. I think overall um, cover crops can work in these systems, although their productivity and nitrogen uptake were relatively low. Um, rye and mixes with rye may be used for retaining some nitrogen. Um, so I think there is a real potential there to prevent some of that nitrogen loss, some of nit some nitrate leaching. Um, rye is the cheapest cover crop, the mixes, uh, you pay much more for those brassica and legume seeds that are in there and, and they're really not worth the money because you do not ever see those crops contribute or the, the, the brassicas and the legumes contributing much biomass. So um, in, these, in these systems, I would say go with rye. Um, because there, is, because there is relatively a low biomass, I do not believe that in most years uh, 
nitrogen immobilization will really be a problem, except of course in years with high biomass production. Um, we do recommend a starter nitrogen, so that also should help with any, any issues with immobilization. Um, soybean yields were not impacted by cover crops. Um, corn yields were a little bit impacted by rye. Um, so moisture may be an issue. We never saw any, any impacts um, in our irrigated side, um, but in the other sides, so moisture may be a little bit of an issue. Um, the other thing is, especially in the uh, continuous corn, if you grow, you grow continuous corn and then you grow another rye cover crop year after year after year, you may get a buildup of certain pathogens actually. So um, rotating your crops and rotating your cover crops, I think would help with that. Um, and there's always some risk of allelopathy, uh, but we, we do not, it's hard, it's hard to figure that out, but there's a certain risk. So overall, um, cover crops can work, um, and, but um, especially for nitrogen retention, I think that's the big, that's the big uh, takeaway that I have here. This was a large project and I just wanted to take a second to thank, um, especially my uh, technicians um, that have helped me. Um, my colleagues from the agronomy department, it wouldn't have been possible without their help. Um, and then of course, I want to thank our sponsors the corn board and the soybean board for, for providing the funds for this research. And with that, I'll take questions.